Hello and welcome to Handels Bank and Insights. I'm Daniel Marnie. On this week's economic update, as the Bank of England raises rates for the fifth consecutive time, how might the MPC act at future meetings to tackle the current inflation challenge? Plus, we review last week's data releases to inform you of some of the key developments in the UK economy. And this week's podcast will conclude with a spotlight on the Eurozone. Should we be concerned about the bloc heading into a new crisis? Join me to discuss all of this is James Sproul, Handelsbank and UK's Chief Economist. So James, let's start about the MPC meeting last week. Um, rates up by 0.25 percentage points. Uh, but I believe the MPC was split about the decision. Um, can you go into how, how that was split um, and what indications might this give about future pathway of monetary policy? Yes, yeah, so the Bank of England voted six votes to three to um, uh, raise rates by 25 basis points. There had been a lot of speculation in the market that they were going to raise by 50, and that was largely because of, of the inflationary problem, which is seen as being growing, and we'll touch upon that in just a moment. But um, the Bank of England, as I say, 25 this time, uh, and they also gave an indication that they weren't necessarily going to be at it wasn't a 25 every time we meet type uh, situation, that uh, from here on in, they will be continuing to examine the situation and see what sort of policy rates were needed at that time. So they were not signaling, as the Federal Reserve has done and as the ECB has done, that they're going to be, uh, we have a, a pathway forward of lots of rate rises uh, ahead of us. That was not what the Bank of England was saying. The other thing, of course, they talked about was a quantitative tightening, um, the QT program. Now, remember that we started not reinvesting the proceeds of the bonds as they expired, which is called passive QT. We started that at the beginning of March. We're continuing that. Uh, they've got a, a relatively small £3 billion. Pound. That's a lot to you and I when it's in our own accounts. But for the government, £3 billion doesn't count as very much. Um, that expires at the beginning of July. They're not going to be reinvesting that. They are putting forward a program, and they, a, a, a report, to come out in August. And that will look at what's known as active QT, which is the government selling off, um, or the Bank of England, selling off its stock of assets a bit faster than the passive would go. But we really have to wait for the August report, which will be a full report with the Monetary Policy Committee report as well, uh, before we get an indication of where they're moving on as far as QT goes. Where do we go in terms of interest rates from here? Uh, my own forecast is that we now move up to 1.75, so that's an increase from 1.5. So we've increased our forecast a bit there. Um, in order to try and, and see off that uh, inflationary impulse. But it still does two things. First of all, it remains expansive as monetary policy. We think the neutral rate is more likely to be two, between two and two and a half, so we're still expansionary. Um, and it's considerably below where the market sits as well. We don't think they're going to go all the way up there. The economy as a whole simply isn't growing or it's shrinking in, in, in Q2. And um, there's every indication that it might um, shrink further into the year. We've not forecast that yet, but we are seeing lots more strikes come through. There's an estimation that that's going to be impairing on the economy as a whole. And so it wouldn't take much to push us into a second quarter of negative growth, i.e. Q3 of this year, uh, which, of course, would mean we were in recession. So you still think there will only be two further hikes um, up to 1.75%. Um, what could that mean for the inflation outlook, which is already, I believe, um, looking pretty dire. The MPC said 11% um, in October at the recent meeting. Um, and what might happen to sterling? Could, could sterling face pressure? Well, on your last point there, sterling certainly could face pressure. And we, we expect that to be um, short to medium term sterling, getting a lot of pressure on that. Uh, of course, when whenever looking at currencies, you have to look at both sides of the equation. 
and um, we have sterling under pressure because inflation is a problem here. Uh, growth is clearly faltering, but growth is clearly faltering in parts of the eurozone as well, and they also have an inflationary problem. As you said, the Bank of England did say that inflation is going to go to 11%. Uh, they expect that to be in October when we see that next hike in uh, domestic energy prices. And it is always difficult to counter um, supply shocks by controlling demand. And that's sort of, um, it's, it, it, it is at one remove. You're trying to, to influence things at, at a distance. And the Bank of England really doesn't have all that much choice but to do that. Um, they are, they are, you know, interest rates and QT or QE are really the big instruments they have to, to influence that, at that um, um, monetary policy and inflation. And they're not terribly good with supply shocks. So what we have to hope is that we see some sort of um, falling away in energy prices. And unfortunately, that means a um, some sort of solution coming to the Ukraine, which regrettably, I don't see is happening terribly soon. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so last week, we did have some other data releases from the UK economy, which undoubtedly would have fed into uh, the decision making of the MPC. Um, we had some figures on economic growth and the labour market. Um, was there were there any signs in these indicators um, that kind of influenced uh, the MPC maybe to be not quite as hawkish as Marcus wants them to be in terms of interest rate rises? I think the big one, of course, was was um, employment and what's going on within the employment market. It's a very very interesting um, what's happening here. Uh, of course, we have official unemployment, which remains relatively, I mean, very very low, three point eight percent at the moment. Uh, and that would normally be saying, well, the market's overheating uh, and we're likely to see a lot of wage price inflation, pressure inflation. Uh, we, of course, are seeing some of that coming through from uh, various bodies who are either striking. In fact, of course, the strike on Tuesday of this week um, for both tube and rail workers and then further rail work strikes later in the week. But in general, um, we're seeing uh, wage, rates, wage rates not growing by as much as inflation. So we're seeing real uh, wage falls for, for lots of people. On the general employment front, uh, that 3.8 number doesn't tell the whole story either of what's going on with employment because there's both people who are unemployed, i.e. unemployed and searching for work, as well as people who are, for one reason or another, not in the labour market at the moment. And um, if we look at the the way in which employers tend to like to hire people, they uh, very often hire, the first person that gets hired is the person who's actively looking for work, usually somebody who's just come out of a job. So they've been out of a job for a month, maybe two, three months, four months. And they're, they're actively spending their time going around and applying. They get a job pretty quickly. The next group is not the people who've been unemployed for six or 12 months or longer. It's actually the people who aren't even looking at all. And there's a sort of stock of people who are, for one reason or another, have stepped out of the labor market for a period of time, and they're tempted back in. And of course, there's nothing to tempt these people back in like an enhanced pay offer. So if you were, for instance, uh, somebody working in, in uh, catering, and, and all of a sudden you saw local restaurants saying, oh, we're willing to pay this much for waiters, that's quite a bit more than I was having last time. They can be tempted back into the market pretty quickly. And so they may not have been claiming unemployment, so they don't count as unemployment, but they, they do come back into the labor market. And there's, there's probably a good deal of slack in that regard. And we're seeing some of these people starting to come back in, which does relieve some of the pressure on those wage rises. And what the Bank of England is very concerned about as far as inflation goes is both the headline number, but also the longer that inflation sits within the economy, the more that businesses who might have tried to hold on and not put up prices for a couple of months because they thought inflation was transitory, the more those f firms are having to say, actually, I just can't do that anymore. My, my margins are getting hit. I'm losing money. I need to now pass on the price rises. And then that's how inflation embeds itself. And we are in danger of seeing that happening over the next few months. 
Okay, so at the moment we are seeing real wage falls, um, bad for consumers, but presumably good in terms of the fact that we aren't seeing that wage price spiral. But I do wonder, we have got obviously upcoming industrial action this week. We could have further industrial action in sectors outside the rail sector during the summer. Could that feed into wage price spiral risks? It certainly could. Um, and if we look back to the 1970s, and of course this is what people are all, all fearing, is that um, we got into a terrible mess in the late 70s with uh, the trade unions all demanding uh, pay increases. But we also have had big structural changes to the economy since then, and we should not lose track of that. Um, we do have, you know, obviously uh, a lot of trade unions within the transport sector, um, places like uh, some of the teachers. But in general, the UK does not have that. You know, most people negotiate their salaries with their boss directly. So yes, there's a possibility of it, but I don't think we should um, get too concerned that we're about to re revisit the 1970s. The structure of the labour market is so very, very different. Okay, some, re some reassurance there, which is very good to hear. James, to wrap up this week's episode, um, let's talk about uh, what's going on in the Eurozone. Um, in 2012, uh, we did see a bit of a Euro crisis, uh, which started happening when um, you know, bond yields from different Eurozone countries were, were widening quite considerably. Is that something we're seeing at the moment? And is there a risk that we might see another Euro crisis part two? Well, I don't think we could ever write off the, the, the possibility of these risks, whether they be the Eurozone, the US, the UK, the, you know, the possibility of, of upset and risk is always there. And, and we should never, um, never say no more boom and bust because it just it, that's the sort of phrase that comes back to, to haunt you in future. Um, but let's look at what's happening in the Eurozone precisely. Um, the Eurozone talks a lot about um, the ECB had an emergency meeting last week and they talked about fragmentation risk. What is fragmentation risk? That is the risk that the markets start to differentiate too much between Italian and German debt. That's the, the sort of what they're concerned about. And of course, the Italian and the German economy are very, very different. The German economy tends to be pretty efficient, tends to grow pretty well, and has had a government which has been pretty fiscally restrained, and therefore their debt to GDP ratio is not a problem. Uh, the Italian government, uh, although it's had um, relatively good fiscal responsibility lately, it has a history of much less fiscal responsibility, and therefore it has a much, much larger stock of debt that it accumulated, and servicing that debt becomes a real problem. So what we're worried about now is all that Italian debt out there, are people going to, is the Italian government going to, going to be able to continue paying off, particularly if the interest rates were to start to rise? And what we've seen um, uh, really across the boards and across within the private sector as well, there's much more credit differentiation coming through now. So analysts, investors are looking and saying, this credit, whether that be a sovereign government or a corporate, is a bit riskier, therefore uh, the price falls and the yield rises. So we're starting to see yields rise across the board. As you say, you know, in the um, Greek crisis, with Greece was the, the sort of primary um, um, problem uh, way back in 2010, um, those, those rates became uh, astronomical. Uh, but lots of other countries, when, the, when people were doubting Greece, they were starting to doubt lots of other countries as well. The, the European Central Bank does not want to see that sort of thing happening going forward. So they have two programs. They have what they call the PEP, which is all about the Pandemic Emergency Purchase Program, and the APP, the Asset Purchase Program. Um, and the PEP is a bit more flexible, so they want to start to use that to maybe support some of these countries. The difficulty they have is that that's actually not allowed under the rules of the ECB. You don't support one country um, if, if it needs help. You support all of them or none of them. Um, and they have to find ways to fudge that. And so they have a lot of language that is a bit opaque. And it's 
opaque by design because they don't want to be pinned down just yet because they know that there will be countries or politicians within the Eurozone who won't want to see um, lots of northern money spent on propping up other countries. And so there's, there's a bit of a battle coming through in all of this, and we may see some more pressure over the next few months. So, James, in light of all of that, what do you think are the most likely outcomes uh, that will come of this? So I think there's, there's basically two big competing pressures. Uh, clearly, there's a pressure uh, which is sort of keep the euro together, make sure the whole single market works, which is a very, very strong pressure. And then you've also got an anti-inflationary pressure. And there's going to be, I think, a tension between these two, uh, between the, you know, the Germans and the, the, the Dutch and some of the, the Northern Europeans who very much have a, a strong anti-inflationary bias and some of the more Mediterranean countries in Europe who have, um, you know, a stronger keep the whole market together bias. And it's, it, there's, you know, there's lots of room for compromise in between these two. But those, I think, are going to be the two central pressures uh, moving forward over the summer and, and, you know, possibly into the longer term. Great. Thank you very much, James. Um, and we will have more economic insights next week. Thanks for listening to Handelsbank and Insights. If you've liked what you've heard, don't forget to rate us on the app where you're listening because it helps other people find us. You might also want to share this episode on social media. Look forward to seeing you next time.